Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, hello, and good morning. <laughs> it is really nice and sunny today. It's only 10 o'clock in the morning, um, but it rained all afternoon yesterday. Me and Brian just got up and got ready, made the bed in the tent, set up. Um, I think our plan for today is to just hang out here in the tent. Um, Brian's stretching, doing some morning yoga. Granola. <laughs> All the chocolate so melted. <laughs> it's a river of chocolate. <laughs> you can't keep chocolate in Utah. Not in July. <laughs> or in a clear plastic container. Or in, yeah. That is always in the sun. I was in the tent this morning, yeah, that's why. <laughs> Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Crime Analyst and the Intelligence Cell. The clip you just heard was of Gabby and Brian when they were in Utah. I wanted you to hear Gabby's voice. It's important for you to get a sense of her, and for us to keep Gabby constantly in mind throughout this series. Some of you may have even watched this clip. It's from her own van life video that she posted, and various news outlets and documentaries have used it. When you just listen to the audio, you sometimes hear new things. What did you hear? What did you attend to? For me, I hear someone who's happy and who's making the best of things and enjoying the ride come rain or shine. We hear the playful side of Gabby here. She's willing to laugh when things don't quite go to plan and also show it on Instagram. In other words, she's not just trying to project the perfect life. Now, when I watch the video, I see an immaculate tent and a picture-perfect van. Gabby hops into the van and you see the interior. Everything is carefully stowed away. It's very well thought through. There is meticulous attention to detail. 
And then Gabby is preparing yogurt, granola and blueberries. And she has a little shelf on the back of the internal van door. She reaches for the chocolate in a plastic container and it's all melted. She laughs. That's the only thing that's out of place and messy and in frame. Brian is lurking half in shot and is somewhat awkward. The interaction between them when he appears in shot feels a little scripted and unnatural, but I think Gabby is a natural on camera, shooting a knowing smile to camera and clearly enjoying what she's doing. The camera loves her and she lights up. I can understand why she wanted to document her journey and share it with the world, but can the same be said for Brian? Was he happy to do that and also be on camera? I remain unconvinced. And yes, everything is in its place, picture perfect, and there's not one thing out of place. Now, no doubt they tidied up for the camera, but I can tell she is meticulous in her day-to-day. It's all been thought about beforehand, and with two people living in such a small space, you would have to be organised. This is an important observation, which I'll come back to later in the series. Okay, walking it back for a moment, and before I continue this deep dive, what did you think about part one? What jumped out at you? Setting the scene and the context is very important to me. As I always say, murders do not come out of the blue. I've not seen it yet. Femicides do not come out of the blue. In my professional experience of working and analysing cases, there are always warning signs. In this investigative series, I want to get to the bottom of Gabby's case, once and for all. I know many of you feel the same way. Some of you shared with me that you became obsessed with Gabby's case. And it's also been brought to my attention that there's a certain male podcast host who's gone on record saying that I'm wrong to say that Gabby's murder was a murder in slow motion. I just want to take a moment to address that, because for me, it's everything that makes the true crime space problematic. Firstly, when you have a podcast, you have a responsibility to put accurate information into the public domain, particularly when putting together episodes about victims of violence and murder. Secondly, if you have no experience on a subject like domestic abuse and or coercive control, perhaps you should refrain from opining. Thirdly, consider speaking to an expert particularly if you're a male and the subject that you're talking about is violence against women. And lastly, the host was challenged by a domestic abuse survivor. She suggested he should look at my work to understand my background, experience and expertise, and she also suggested he should speak with an expert. He messaged her back saying that he was upset that she had challenged him and that she had dialed me into the conversation He wrote that he was in therapy, dealing with some shame issues, and that she had triggered him. Just think about that response for a moment. There was no acknowledgement of her feedback, or the fact that she was a survivor, only admonishment, distraction and flipping the script in an attempt to make her feel empathy for him. Now for me, that's not okay. Her concerns were valid and legit. I mean, if you have a podcast and put yourself out there... This sort of feedback from a survivor is really important, and his response was all about him demanding empathy and compassion from her, yet ironically showing none in return. Now for me, that's just not okay. Everyone has a right to an opinion, but not all opinions are weighted equally, and unfortunately everyone is an armchair expert these days, particularly in the true crime space. 
And I've got to share with you that it's really starting to grate that people with no experience at all say these things with such ease and confidence rather than investing time properly researching a case or asking an expert on to have a discussion. And when I say expert, I mean expert, not another podcaster with no experience in domestic abuse and or coercive control and violence against women, and more specifically male violence towards women. You see, it really does matter because victims and survivors, women, are listening to many podcasts and they're listening to you. And if you care anything for victims and survivors and for women, which you should if you're making money from their cases, here's my free unsolicited advice. Invest in doing some proper research and talk to experts. Like I said, everybody has an opinion these days. And if they have a mic and a podcast, and particularly if we're talking about violence against women and male violence, it can be a dangerous thing. I do these podcasts to educate people. And you may have noticed I'm now on TikTok, at Crime Analyst Pod. And I've been doing these bite-sized walk and talk videos breaking down coercive control. I try and find creative ways to share my free content to raise awareness Conscious all the while that there's a Mark, Adam or John doing the exact opposite, who can dismiss my opinion and 26 years of working cases, as well as victims and survivors and their families. I want to put it another way. If one of your family members, God forbid, had anything wrong with their brain, would you be calling someone who's watched every season of Grey's Anatomy and the Dr. Shepard, the brother and sister duo team, performing hours of brain surgery... Or would you say call the expert and specialist who's worked thousands of cases in real life and been very successful at what they do? I think I know the answer. That's my little guy. He knows the answer. And I do too. And I know that you do. Hey, lovely. What's your makeup go-to? What do you need to face the day? Now for me, if I apply my eyeliner, my brilliant eye brightener, mascara and red lipstick, I feel ready to face anything. But I know every now and again, I need to zhuzh up my makeup and my amazing sponsor Thrive Cosmetics has a full line of makeup to refresh your everyday look. With clean, skin-loving ingredients, their foolproof products make it easy for any skill level to apply. Also, Thrive Cosmetics Bigger Than Beauty mission is amazing. For every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. I love that Thrive Cosmetics supports domestic violence victims, breast cancer survivors, and women who are homeless. Now, if you want to wreck from me, you cannot go wrong with the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. Thrive Cosmetics Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara has a unique formula which creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. And they use nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger and healthier looking lashes over time. Plus, it's super easy to remove and slides right off with warm water and doesn't leave smudges. So treat yourself or someone you love and help women thrive together. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash crimeanalyst. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash crimeanalyst for 10% off your first order. 
calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. The true crime genre has exploded exponentially in the six years that I've been podcasting, and it really does concern me. And it should give everyone pause for thought. And I'm not saying that you should just trust an expert implicitly, but I am saying that not all opinions are weighted the same. It's worth thinking about because the true crime space is getting overcrowded with people and their opinions and their feels, many of whom have little empathy for the victims or for their families. So on that note, here's another pro tip for you budding crime analysts. Learn your craft. There are no shortcuts for experience and expertise. Put the time in and do the research and earn your stripes. Do your due diligence on people and go with trusted, credible and verified people. Take great care about what, or I should say who, you put in your ears. Okay, let's get back to Gabby and the facts and the evidence in the case. In part one, I started analysing and assessing Gabby's Instagram posts. And where I left off, Gabby and Brian were at Monument Rocks on July 4th, 2021. This is what Gabby wrote. There's no place like the tiny home we built. At bizarre underscore design underscore hashtag van life hashtag travel hashtag adventure blogger. So this time, Brian is tagged into the post. I want to point out that Gabby was young, energetic, positive and beautiful. She was a can-do woman, up for trying everything and anything, and living life to its fullest. You heard her father, Joe, talk about her zest for life, her joie de vivre. Gabby surfed the Great Sand Dunes National Park, and as she said in her post, she managed to snag a spot to camp in the National Park as a cancellation came up. She wrote on July 10th. Well, this is exactly what Gabby wrote. There was a sun and clouds emoji and a smiley face emoji. After going on our first road trip across the country in my tiny car, we felt like there was just so much we missed. Turning this Ford Transit essentially into a camper was such an adventure in itself, but I couldn't love the way it turned out more. All the places it's brought us so far have been amazing. As soon as we got to the Great Sand Dunes, I didn't want to leave. There was so much to hike. But as soon as the campsites on the dunes open up for summer, they fill up instantly, along with the overnight parking permits. Lucky enough, I called at the right time when someone cancelled and was able to score us a campsite for two nights overlooking the dunes. I'm so grateful we got such an awesome spot to spend the night and surf the dunes. And the night sky here was insane. Never seen so many stars. And she finished it with a moon emoji, hashtag van life, hashtag van life movement, and she tagged Brian in again. 
You'll recall that I mentioned they'd been on a road trip before. Well, that was in Gabby's car. And then she buys the Ford Transit van for the next road trip. This was confirmed in the lawsuit that Joe Petito and Nicole Schmidt filed on Friday the 11th of March, and I'm going to talk about the lawsuit, but not just yet. I'm wondering if you're starting to notice an emerging pattern. As a crime analyst, I'm always looking for potential patterns, as well as things that don't make sense or don't fit. The one I want to flag to you relates to finances and getting things done, and the energy and exuberance going into this trip in particular. I'm thinking Gabby most likely did the lion's share of the work on the van. The attention to detail, the little plant pot of succulents on the dashboard for the video set up in the van life video, well, I suspect that that was most likely her touch, as well as booking the trip. Gabby's mum, Nicole Schmidt, later said, and I quote, they were together, they had a plan, they had an itinerary. We were excited for them. Again, it's hard to say how much of the planning was Gabby's, It seems to me that she had the plan. Gabby was the one almost bursting with excitement and she had hopes of becoming a travel influencer, a van lifer and adventure blogger. It was Gabby's dream. That's the impression that I got and her mother has since confirmed that that was the case. Gabby wanted to travel and live the van life, living free like a nomad, sharing her cross-country travels on social media sites, including her YouTube channel, nomadic, static, as well as Instagram and TikTok, and she had also started a website. Now, this was the website mentioned when the police pulled her and Brian over in the van, and I'll come on to breaking down that interaction in detail later on in the series. The first video was called Van Life, Beginning Our Van Life Journey, and that's where the clip at the start of the episode comes from. I also want to share with you what's written in the blurb on the YouTube channel, Nomadic Static. A glimpse into our van adventures. After our first cross-country trip in a little Nissan Sentra, we both decided we wanted to downsize our lives and travel full-time, but trying to fit everything for two people into the tiny little trunk of the car, also spending way too much on gas, food and Airbnb, was not the road to take. We quickly realised we had come up with a solution if we wanted to continue travelling and living nomadically, So that's why we handcrafted our own tiny van, a simple 2012 Ford Transit Connect, utilising space with unique designs and features, creating a space for both artistic expression and distance hiking. Thank you so much for watching, and we hope you tag along on our journey wherever the van takes us. Follow our van life journey for some awesome van life ideas, tips, hacks, camping spots, and so many beautiful places to travel. Visit our website and blog, www.nomadicstatic.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and then the link. Follow Gabby on Instagram and the link to her Instagram page and follow Brian on Instagram and a link to his page, which no longer exists, by the way. So it's such a sweet, fun blurb. To me, it's clearly Gabby's writing and style. The same as the flowers on the inside of the van, the little alcoves, wall art, the feminine touches, the boho style, it's all Gabby. Remember in other crime analyst episodes, I've talked about the fact that everyone has an idiolect, the way that we write, the style, the content, syntax, word choice. It's as unique as a fingerprint. And I'll be coming back to writing styles again in this case. 
And the website is up too. Well, a holding page, stating, more soon, on clean and funky artwork, and what I believe to be a silhouette of Gabby and Brian holding hands in front of the van. Again, to me, the style screams of Gabby. In fact, the writing says, out of Wi-Fi, be here soon. So adorable, and yet so sad, my heart feels heavy. Sadly, the cute out of Wi-Fi, be here soon message was a promise that would never be. That's what makes me so sad. It again sounds very Gabby, super cute and full of fun and mischief, a good sort of mischief, from what I've learned about Gabby. And so there's clear evidence that Gabby was future planning. She was excited about her life and the direction it was taking. She wasn't going to just take herself off and disappear herself. She later said when Merb City Police pulled the van over that Brian didn't believe she could do the website. He didn't believe in her. That jumped out at me straight away. I believe her, and I believe that she could do it from what I've come to understand about Gabby. She had something special in front of the camera, and what's more, she was building the infrastructure and taking all the necessary steps to make this a reality. It wasn't just a few clips on social media and then her getting bored. She had put a lot of thought, time and effort into the website, the graphics, the pictures and the captions. She had thought about the frame for the shots, the setup, the music, and she was making it happen. It was in motion. So why would the man who's supposed to love, care for and nurture Gabby, the man who had a front row seat in every sense to what she was doing, doubt that she could do it? And why would Gabby say that Brian didn't believe she could do it to the police? Well, I can answer the latter, because that's called leakage. For me, I understand that it was the thing that was top of her mind, and in a stressful situation, the police pulling them over, it just came tumbling out. No filter. And it seems to me this was the crux of the issue. Put simply, my interpretation of that leakage is that that's what Gabby and Brian most likely argued about that morning. Now, I'm getting somewhat ahead of myself, giving you some insight, and I am going to get to the domestic violence call-out and my analysis of the footage, which was my point of entry into Gabby's case, as I said. I'll also circle back as to why Brian might say he didn't believe that Gabby could build the website and become a social media influencer later on in this series. For now, we're taking it step by step. Now, I did look at Gabby and Brian's Instagram accounts at the same time as analysing the body-worn camera footage. I wanted to better understand who Gabby was, as well as Brian, and any other important information from multiple sources. So, crime analysts, pro tip, always check social media in a case. Although much can be curated, and with the caveat that many people only show the good stuff, i.e. we're all proactively engaged in some form of impression management to some degree and wanting to show our best life, but there can still be leakage and interesting information, even with the most manicured content that can be analysed and assessed. My point here is that to some who are not close to the relationship, it might look like they had a plan. But was it Gabby's plan or both of their plans? You see, for me, Gabby's Instagram paints a picture that it was her plan. Gabby had worked two jobs to make it happen. The trip was most likely bankrolled by her. Remember, Gabby also lived with Brian's family. 
She moved from New York to live with him and his family in Florida, and so again she moved away from her family and her friends. Now a move like that can be quite isolating. When you move anywhere new, you have to re-establish yourself and make friends and connections, and it's not always easy. And just an observation about Gabby's social media, which is beautifully curated and executed, but it's noticeably lacking in friends. What's missing are the pictures of Gabby and her friends, female and male, going out on adventures, having lunch, brunch, dinner dates, just messing around and hanging out, all the things you do when you're 21, 22. And like, I get it, we've just been in a pandemic, and I know how isolating it's been, including me getting pregnant and giving birth in a pandemic and in a country without my family around me. But I'm talking about before that with Gabby. For a 21, 22-year-old, that's unusual, and jumped out at me straight away. Even her 21st birthday was minus friends. So what does that mean? Well, it means that her circle was small. That means her echo chamber and network and support group was limited. That's important to know. Although having said that, she was close to her family. Here's her mum, Nicole, talking. For more than a month, the couple made their way across the United States stopping at some of the country's most breathtaking natural wonders, making memories that were meant to last a lifetime and sharing them with their families and followers. How often were you in contact with Gabby while her and Brian were travelling? I would say on average every other day or so, almost every day. She would text, she would FaceTime, send me pictures of where they were going. Um, I loved getting the updates. I was in awe of what she was doing. It was just amazing. As parents, did you have any concerns about this trip? Oh, of course. Um, I worried. Um, I told her to be careful, be safe, you know, make sure to be aware of your surroundings, Um, you know, don't trust everybody. I knew, but I felt safe because she was with Brian and I, I felt like she would be okay. I think, I thought he would take care of her. It's interesting, isn't it? Here Nicole talks about how often they spoke on the phone and messaged, and I'll return to this, as it's important. Also, Nicole talks about her fears and concerns relating to Gabby's safety and, in inverted commas, stranger danger. Most parents and families talk to their children about stranger danger. The be careful, be aware of your surroundings, don't go off on your own, stay together, have a meet-up point if you get separated or lost, always be vigilant. And schools go through the motions with it too. But you know what we don't talk about? Hi, uh, I'm calling to report a domestic dispute. They just drove off. What were they doing? Uh, We drove by and the gentleman was slapping the girl. He was slapping her? Yes, and then we stopped. They ran up and down the sidewalk. He proceeded to hit her, hopped in the car, and they drove off. All right, I will let somebody know. Thank you. What most parents and families and friends do not talk about is domestic abuse and coercive control, and the men and the boys who do it, and how they do it. Yet male abusers are the biggest threat to girls and women. Did you know that women aged 16 to 24 experience domestic abuse at the highest rate of any age group, almost three times the national average? However, despite this, there are rarely conversations about what a healthy relationship looks like. Young people receive sex education about the mechanics of sex, but not about what is healthy and what's not. 
And yet women between the ages of 16 to 24 are the most commonly abused by an intimate partner. And the biggest killer of women and girls? Well, the biggest killer are the men that we know and love and have relationships with. Here in America, four to five women are killed every single day by a current or former male partner. Why aren't we talking about that? In fact, the most dangerous place for a woman and child is in the home. It's very sobering when you understand the macro, the bigger picture, as well as the micro, what's going on in relationships. And it's even more alarming that there's no national or international outrage and desire to change this. Well, there is, from some women, from feminists, but not from the masses. So the bigger picture, the context that in the US four to five women are murdered every single day by a current or former male partner is important to me when I understand that 23-year-old Brian returned home to Florida without his 22-year-old fiance Gabby, and he is in her van, and he won't respond to her family's messages and tell them what happened or where she is. It's a context that's top of my mind, always there, omnipresent, as I watched the police body-worn camera footage, along with the fact that 16 to 24-year-olds are the highest risk group. I knew there was already a subtext to this, because this is what I do as an expert every single day. I didn't know what I would see on the body-worn camera footage, of course, but what I did see blew me away. I saw codified behaviour and language. That's the beauty of police body-worn camera footage. What you're watching has not been filtered through someone else's lens. It is prima facie evidence, and it can be used in court. In my opinion, it's extremely helpful in domestic abuse and stalking cases. The one I want to put on all your radars right now is that we should be speaking with younger people about abuse much earlier, and not just physical abuse, but emotional, psychological, economic and financial, sexual, and most importantly, coercive control. Coercive control significantly correlates with serious harm and femicide, and my word choice is intentional. I'm saying femicide and not homicide as it correlates significantly to a woman being killed by a man, not a man killing a woman. Coercive control does not affect women and men equally, and it certainly doesn't when we're talking about the link with murder. On a macro and micro level, this is about sex-based oppression and the greater desire for a man to control a woman. And often I see in these cases the notion, if I can't have you, no one will. You belong to me. And a sense of entitlement, of right, of ownership, of one over the other, and possession. And that most often comes into play with finality and rejection. Put simply, for a girl or a woman, being in a relationship with a guy is the greatest risk to our physical safety and to our psychological well-being, not stranger danger. So we need to change the script to younger people and invest in intervention and prevention and discussing healthy relationships and what they look like and challenging those that are not. Think on that, crime analysts, and join me back in the Intelligence Cell next week for more analysis of Gabby's case. Until next time, be curious, ask questions, and always trust your instinct. Here's my final two cents before the episode wraps. 
If you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to Crime Analyst or on the website www.crime-analyst.com. It really helps others find me and also helps with the ratings. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Jason Sheasley at Abridged Audio. Cover art and graphics by Chris Rowbottom at Syndicate. And music by Kilrood. 